The Wake Knot by Robert McMinn Chapter 9 Walking Wounded Wounded a little, but safe enough. Chris wasn't used to sleeping on his back. Not only was it not comfortable in normal circumstances, but it especially wasn't comfortable when he was covered in road rash. He kept telling himself he was lucky, that it could have been so much worse, but in the middle of an almost sleepless night, he just wanted to roll over onto his shoulder and go to sleep. This room, not his room, got light early, but he didn't want to move in case he woke Charlie, who apparently could sleep with the curtains open. Broken collarbone. At least that meant he didn't have to wear a plaster cast, though he'd have to keep his arm in a sling for a month or so. A lot of road rash, which was already scabbing over, a bump on the head and a broken collarbone. Typical cyclist's injuries. Lucky, lucky, lucky. Charlie had scolded him about the helmet thing, and it cut her off, saying, The main reason for wearing a helmet is so people can't say, Why weren't you wearing a helmet the next time a 4x4 or truck crushes you off the road? It had been so fast. He was still trying to piece together the accident and its aftermath in his mind. He had been sitting by the tree a fair while, he knew that. It wasn't that Meg had come driving down the road just after it happened. He might even have blacked out for a bit. He remembered, taking a very long time getting over to the tree and into a comfortable position against it. He remembered a couple of cars passing by, and that he hadn't processed the information that there was a car in time to do anything about it. It didn't occur to him that he was sitting so far in the shade that he was barely visible from the road. Only somebody looking for him would have seen him. The pain was so intense that he was convinced he'd broken his arm. Everything was confused again after Charlie and Meg had arrived. He'd been on the back seat of the car but didn't remember how he got from the car into the waiting room. And then Megan had been on the phone... He wasn't sure to whom, and Charlie had gone somewhere for what seemed like a really long time. But then she was back, and Megan had disappeared. Later, he learned that Meg had spoken to the gendarmes from the hospital waiting room while Charlie had driven back to the Hermitage to pick up his EU medical forms, which they'd asked him about as soon as he arrived. While Chris had been in X-ray, Meg had driven off to meet the gendarmes at the scene of the accident where they picked up the wreckage of the bike and said they'd taken Meg's memory card with photos of the scene. That seemed odd. He thought Charlie had promised to drive over in the Gulf and pick up the wreckage later, but now the police had it. He worried that she might never get the memory card back, and promised himself that as soon as possible he'd buy her a replacement. It had been dark when they emerged from the hospital, Chris's arm in a sling. Meg had offered to sleep in the flat so Charlie and Chris could share the cottage, Chris had protested, genuinely not wanting Meg to do this, but had been so zonked on painkillers that he kept trailing off. A month or more with the sling, which meant he couldn't drive, at least not right away, which was a worry, and the bike was a write-off, the holiday, a washout. He closed his eyes, letting a wave of self-pity wash over him. Pull yourself together. Look who you're with. An hour later, after he'd dozed a little, he sat up without too much difficulty, maintaining his left arm in its braced position across his chest. He managed to use the toilet and found that someone had thoughtfully put his electric toothbrush in the bathroom. 
When he got back to the bedroom, Charlie was getting out of bed. You okay? she said. You need help? Fine so far. Gotta get dressed though. Keep it simple. It's gonna be hot anyway. Let's have breakfast and then we'll get you into the shower. Somehow. She looked at him appraisingly, obviously thinking about the sling. They said to take it off so it doesn't get wet, but to hold the arm in the same position, Chris remembered. Yeah, think you can manage that? I'll have to. I'm hardly the first person to bust their clavicle, am I? I could help. Uh, That might be too sexy for right now. She grinned at him. Take your mind off things. Over breakfast, she asked what he remembered about the accident, but Chris's memory was becoming more hazy with every hour. He shrugged. Were you wearing headphones? she asked. Chris felt judged for a moment, as he had when she asked him about the helmet. But these were only the kind of questions someone who was used to investigating accidents would ask. So he bit back his retort and replied in a more measured way. Actually, no. Battery was flat in my Bluetooth headphones, forgot to put them on charge. Always forget something. So I'd taken them off and they were in my back pocket. And I know I shouldn't block my ears when I ride, but they're not very loud. And the truth is that the loudest sound in your ears when you're going down a hill like that is the wind. Deep breath. He knew it sounded like a well-rehearsed answer, which it was. If you'd been wearing a helmet... I'd still be missing half my skin and still have a broken collarbone. Those helmets aren't all that strong, you know, lightweight. Some people think they're unlikely to save you from a brain injury. Yeah, I've seen those reports, said Charlie, the copiner coming out. But I still think I'd rather be wearing one than not. I like those airbag things. Have you seen them? That actually might have helped. So get one. 250 quid, though. 250 quid against what? How much was your bike? Point taken. I'm sorry about your bike, and I'm sorry to be such a parent about it, but all right, I don't mind. I do need to think about this stuff. I'll hit the shower for now. Help me get this T-shirt off, will you? He didn't remember putting the T-shirt on. Charlie manoeuvred it over his head. There was one brief stab of pain, but then it was off. Um, have I got a towel with me? No, but use the dry one in there, it's clean. We'll sort everything out later. We're not really swapping, are we? Charlie paused, maybe a little bit hurt. Not if you don't want to, no. I didn't mean I didn't want to. But you came on holiday with Meg and I feel like I've sent her into exile. She doesn't mind, I promise. She's cool about it. Go, take your shower, don't lock the door and... and... Holler if you get in a pickle. Chris went. He managed to keep his arm more or less still during the shower, but the most painful part was the sting of the water on his still raw road rash. He adjusted the temperature till the water was just tepid and squeezed shower gel onto a face cloth he found in the soap dish. He avoided most of the raw skin and focused on the most important areas. Once he had turned the water off, he stood dripping, wondering if he was going to have to air dry. He felt a slight chill, however, and headed over to the towel which he applied one-handed as best he could. He didn't notice Charlie standing in the doorway watching him. Eventually, she said, Need help? He blushed. All over. 
This is not dignified, he said. We've only just met. You shouldn't have to be nursing me. Chris, I don't mind. In the case of genuine need, my ex wanted to be nursed when there was nothing wrong with him. All the fucking time here. She took the towel and helped dry his back and hair, then gently lifted his arm, jab of pain, and sprayed deodorant, wincing in empathy as she did so. Then she helped him into clean trunks, a pair of shorts, and stood in front of him with a clean t-shirt. Right, she said. While you were in the shower, I looked this up on the internet. We have to get the sleeve over your damaged side and then over your head, and then you should be able to manage your other side. Chris widened his eyes at the prospect. Meg arrived as they were working the t-shirt over Chris's wet hair. Ouch, she said as she saw what they were doing, but actually the worst was over. They reapplied the sling and brace and Chris sat down on a dining chair. That was exhausting, he said. I'm about ready for bed. He looked at Meg, who was helping herself to a mug of coffee from the press, her own hair wet from a shower. I can't thank you enough for letting me move in here, Meg. Hey, no problem. That sofa bed isn't too bad, actually, here, she said, reaching into the back pocket of her jeans. Is this yours? She pulled out a card, bigger than a normal playing card, and flipped it across the table at him. He picked it up with his good hand and looked at it. It appeared to be a tarot card of some kind, though he had never seen a design like it. At the top was the number three in Roman numerals, and at the bottom the word wands in hand-drawn capital letters. The design itself featured a figure with his back to the viewer, looking across a body of water, leaning on a staff with two similar-looking staffs or wooden stakes stuck into the ground beside him. In the sky, a black bird was flying, and one of the wooden rods had something around it, similar to the rod of Asclepius. Chris puzzled over the picture for a moment, wondering if it had something to do with his visit to the hospital, before saying, Not mine, no. Where was it? Found it under the bed when I folded it up, Meg said, sipping her coffee. Thought you might have dropped it. Maybe it fell out of the frame, he said. Previous resident, maybe? Probably, she said. Chris looked at the card again and passed it to Charlie, who was clearly curious. Not really wands, are they? he said. More like walking sticks or staffs. Charlie looked at it carefully, counting the stakes. Wand sounds more magical, I expect, she said. There are three, but two are stuck in the ground, like fence posts. She put the card down on the table. Chris picked it up again. One of them looks like that Hippocratic symbol, he said. The one that people sometimes mix up with the caduceus uh, which has two snakes not one but actually that does look like two snakes i was thrown for a minute because i thought it might have come from the hospital it's not snakes charlie said they heard noises outside some kind of commotion and the card was forgotten chris assumed the morgans were up and about maybe arguing again he glanced at the door just as there was a heavy knock upon it meg went over to open it it was Christian, from the restaurant, looking eager and full of news. Good morning, he said, with a half leer at Meg, who was looking particularly hot, wearing a pair of short denim shorts and a plaid shirt nodded at the waist, showing a bare midriff. May I come in? I have news. Meg waved him through and he came into the room like he owned the place. Seeing Chris at the table, he said, Good gracious, Chris, what happened to you? Came off my bike. 
The wind was momentarily luffed out of his sails, then he visibly rallied, deciding to stick to his original gossip. Ah, well, I wonder if any of you have heard. Heard what? asked Charlie, standing with her hands on her waist. One of your neighbours, Dr Patel. What about her? Christian looked at each of them in turn, his pale blue eyes twinkling, relishing the information he had that they clearly didn't. He licked his lips. Well, it seems she may have committed suicide. They found her hanging. Where? In the cottage? No, in the church. There was an extended, stunned silence. An air of doom settled on the room. Christian raised his eyebrows as if to say, How about that then? Chris wondered if the owners of the hermitage would really appreciate him bringing this shocking news. This was the sort of incident that would prompt people to cancel everything and just go home. Eventually, Charlie spoke. Was there a note with the body, she said. I'm not sure, but the gendarmes think suicide. I just left them down there securing the scene. Chris wondered how the gossip had reached Christian so quickly. The grapevine in this silent village would seem to be in robust health. Charlie looked at Meg. Meg twisted her mouth into a told-you-so smile and reading Charlie's mind said, Go, I'll stay with Chris. I'll come, said Chris, keen to see what had happened. Go, said Meg again. Me and Chris will follow slowly. She looked at Chris with raised eyebrows. Without another word, they all got up and headed outside. Christian followed them from the house, then hurried to catch up with Charlie, who was making pace up the driveway towards the road. Chapter 10. Mysteries of the Afterlife And thus they glided on from stream to stream, until they came to the sacred isle of the inheritance of the Lord, the soil of St. Mary and St. Bartholomew, the most holy sanctuary of St. Guthlac and his monks. Charlie wasn't going to go in accusing people of not knowing what they were doing, but she did wonder how many dead bodies these particular gendarmes would have seen in their careers. Working in rural Lincolnshire, she'd seen a fair few. Farmers were always shooting themselves and other people. She assumed the same was true round here, but wondered how many tourists came on holiday to kill themselves. Anyway, she thought women don't usually hang themselves. Most female suicides use pills. Men use more violent and more immediately deadly methods like the noose. Christian tailed her along the road, struggling in spite of his superior stride length to keep up nattering about how nice the doctor had seemed and how cheerful, and that he'd never have believed that she was likely to kill herself. Charlie didn't bother telling him that people who committed suicide often gave no outward sign of their despair, and even could seem quite cheerful, sometimes after a long period of depression, once they'd made the decision to end it. She was rummaging in her bag, looking for her other wallet, the one with English money in it and her warrant card. She wasn't going to muscle in on the case. She just wanted to take a look, a professional look, at the scene, preferably before they cut the doctor down. I'm not sure they know how long she's been there, Christian was saying. The priest generally only visits the parish on a Thursday to take confession. 
What's the name of the church, by the way? Charlie said, niggling at something that had been bothering her for days. Christian paused, as if deciding whether to take offence at the way she'd asked the question. I'm not sure. Nobody's ever called it anything in my hearing. They had reached the police cordon, which consisted of a single gendarme, standing at the church entrance with a gaggle of locals standing in front of her, asking questions. There was Barb. There was the old woman who had scowled at them from the cemetery. There was some kind of clergyman in a wide-brimmed black hat, talking to a small group of people, standing a few metres from the others. Charlie worked her way to the front of the crowd without being too pushy. Christian remained behind, started to talk to one of the others. Charlie hadn't looked back to see if Chris and Meg were somewhere in the vicinity. Instead, she approached the gendarme, only now realising that she might need Meg's language skills. Excusez-moi. Bonjour, said the gendarme. Um, uh, je suis un police anglais? She showed the gendarme her warrant card, not sure if what she had just said made any sense. The officer looked at it for a couple of seconds and nodded her through into the church, just like that. No question, no hesitation, just in you go. It wasn't supposed to be that easy. Charlie contained her surprise and thanked the officer walking into the porch. The contrast between the darkness under the porch and the bright sunshine outside was such that she had to stand for a few seconds to allow her eyes to adjust. The quiet murmuring of the small crowd outside behind her seemed distant, like it had nothing to do with where she was. She detected the faint smell of putrefaction and braced herself, stepping towards the main door of the church and into its interior. It looked more or less the same inside, same light slanting through the stained glass window, illuminating dust motes in the still air, same heavy oak benches and the same blank-eyed statuary. The same little shrine to Mary who defeated Knots. The only difference from her prior visit was the body, just now being lowered to the floor by two crime scene officers in white paper suits. Something about the way they were carrying the body struck Charlie as unusual. There was an officer on the balcony coiling the rope. Two other gendarmes, one of them not in uniform, were standing looking back towards her while yet another was taking photographs. There was no sign of a medical examiner. The gendarme in uniform was one Charlie had met the day before, when he briefly dropped into the hospital to ask Meg to take him to the scene of Chris's accident. He smiled at her, then frowned, puzzled as to why she should be there. Charlie gave the body a wide berth on her way to greet him. She held up her warrant card, decided to have another go at speaking French. Uh, je suis un officer de police anglais, she began. Je m'appelle Charlotte Stone. Um, Ah, oui, said the gendarme, glancing at her identification. Et vous pensez que vous pouvez offrir le délai? Saviez-vous la, que la personne décédée? It took Charlie a few seconds to process that. She, she was beginning to shake her head to show that she didn't understand when she realised she did. Oh, uh, oui. Uh, mais je parle pas français bien. Uh, mon ami Megan, uh, elle parle français très bien. Ah uh, oui, the gendarme said again. He held up his hand and went over to talk to the other officer, the one Charlie assumed would be in charge. At that moment, the photographer called over. J'ai fini. And the officer in charge called something up to the balcony. Charlie glanced over 
at the doctor's body. Her face had been distorted by strangulation, and her dark skin was even darker around the neck and face. She was wearing a white blouse and blue stretched jeans. There were a few spatters of what could have been blood on the blouse. Her feet were bare, her toenails painted dark red. Charlie looked around for her shoes or flip-flops, but couldn't see them. The gendarmes had laid the body out on the floor of the church. There seemed to be more of them now. Charlie closed her eyes. She looked around for permission to approach closer, then took two or three steps so she could see more detail. She kept her hands in her pockets. Something about the skin around the neck where the rope had bitten bothered her. She leaned in closer. Uh, Excusez-moi, she said, attendez. She hurried from the church, through the dark porch and out into the disorienting bright sunlight, scanning the crowd with squinted eyes. She saw them at the edge of the crowd, standing with the Morgans, the adults anyway. Chris was still looking pale and she wondered if he'd remembered to top up his painkillers that morning. She caught Megan's eye and beckoned her over. What's up? said Meg, approaching. They let you in there? Why? I need you to say something for me. I don't have the vocab, said Charlie. She led Meg back inside, ignoring the posted gendarme who ignored them in her turn. They're obviously already treating this as a suicide, which is presumably why they didn't make a fuss when I walked in flashing my card, she told Meg. And then she told her what she wanted her to say. They stood in the doorway of the church. Charlie held Meg's arm so she wouldn't get too close to the body. Excusez-moi, she called. The serious look on her face obviously called to the officer in charge, who walked over to them. He was quite a short man, wearing a rumpled suit that looked to be a size too big. He had a square face, short black hair, and a very Gallic nose. Charlie jogged Meg's elbow. Ah, uh, uh, ce ne suicide. Uh, je pense qu'elle a été assassinée. Oui, je sais. Attendez à l'extérieur, s'il vous plaît. Meg looked at Charlie. He knows. The officer was walking away. I gathered. Okay, and now we're out. Did you want to help or something? Nope, I'm on holiday, and the French examining magistrate won't want outsiders involved anyway, but... But what? Nothing. Forget it. Being paranoid. Trouble is your constant companion. Seems that way. Yeah. I mean, first the boy bangs his head, then Chris gets run off the road, and now this. It's enough to make me wonder if I'm safe around you. Charlie tilted her head to one side and said, Really, Meg? You really want to tempt fate right now? Maybe not. They joined Chris, who was looking ill. Hey, did you take your painkiller this morning? I knew there was something missing from my life. Come on, let's get you back and let's start the day again without a murder in it. She was murdered, said Chris. How did you know? They walked down the road at the best speed Chris could manage. Well, she was hanged, apparently, but she had blood on her blouse, either from some other injury or from an injury she had inflicted on her attacker. Also, it looked like, as they were lowering the body, that she was the wrong way up. I can't explain. And she had scratched her neck around the rope, trying to get it off her. That's enough for me to have ordered a post-mortem, and I'm pretty sure the lead investigator spotted the same things I did. She was strangled before she was hung up. When did she die? 
I'd have said sometime yesterday, but that's what the post-mortem is for. If the priest hadn't come today, some tourist would have found her at some point. When did you last see her? Uh, she didn't come out while the Morgans were fussing about the boy nearly drowning, said Meg. I think the last I saw her was at the restaurant on Sunday night. I saw her in Vertayak on... It must have been the day after, on Monday, Chris said. She was talking to some guy on the street. Oh, you should probably tell the gendarmes that when they come calling, said Charlie. They had reached the cottage, and all three went in for another cup of coffee. Chris took his painkiller and then sat down at the table, trying to keep his arm as still as possible. He had been warned it would be very painful for the first few days. Meg looked at him appraisingly. You look like you need a brandy, she said. That's not a bad idea, said Charlie. We should get some for tonight. You could knock yourself out a bit, maybe sleep a bit better. So you think the gendarmes will come calling? Well, I would. I don't know how quickly they'll get into gear. Something I'm wondering. What? Well, I keep thinking about how you were knocked off the road yesterday. They didn't stop. Why? They surely knew they'd knocked you off your bike and even seemed to have done it deliberately. And it happened, what, yesterday lunchtime? Yeah, late morning or around then. So we'll see what they come up with in terms of time of death for Dr Patel. What kind of a doctor was she, asked Meg. No idea. Chris only shrugged. There was a pause while they all drank coffee. Charlie fetched some biscuits from the cupboard. Chris started to feel better. Oh, I found out the name of the church, by the way, said Meg. Really? How? Charlie said. I chatted up one of the locals, one of the French locals. He was hanging around with that woman we saw at the cemetery and the priest came over to talk to them. Oh, you asked the priest? The guy with the whip? asked Chris. What? said Meg. First day, Chris said, I saw him outside the church. I was... I was just pausing on my bike and he was outside that porch thing and I swear he was cracking a whip. Meg looked blank for a moment as she failed to process what Chris had said. Well, I assume the same guy. Anyway, the church is St. Guthlac, although it used to be called St. Bartholomew. It was a little confusing. I think some locals still call it Bartholomew, but it's been Guthlac for a long time. Sounds like a local name, don't you think? Ribarak, Vertayak, Lusignac, Guthlac. So then I was looking around a bit while you were inside, and it jumps out at you. You see the name all over the place. People's windows, car stickers. Even Christian, his restaurant, has a sticker in the window, along with all the methods of payment. Eglise Saint Guthlac, Fête des Fleurs, de Mille. It was pretty old and faded. But Guthlac is not a local name, said Charlie. Why do you say that? asked Chris. Because I come from Lincolnshire, which is where St Guthlac lived, said Charlie. I knew there was something odd about that church. Chris and Meg looked at her expectantly. And there's something else, she said. They waited. Well, Christian, for a start, I asked him only this morning what the church was called, and he said he'd never heard it called anything. Ah, oh, but... He only just bought the restaurant. Maybe he doesn't know what stickers he has up, objected Chris. He's lived here longer than that, though, said Meg. I mean, he talks about the place like he owns it. Barb was vague about it, too, said Charlie, after ignoring me the first time I asked. 
But those stickers are all over the place, I tell you, said Meg. Chris looked from one to the other. But what are we talking about here? What possible reason could people have to keep the name of a church secret? They all thought about it. Nobody could think of a reason. Anyway, said Meg, turning to Charlie, how do you know so much about this name, this Guthlack? Oh, local legends, that's all, said Charlie. Stuff people try to scare you with when you grow up round there. To do with rats and mice and demons and the crowland, which is where he's supposed to have lived. I'll tell you the story if we can get back in the church at some point and see that window. <laughs>